From the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, this is Catholic Military Life, a podcast of the Archdiocese. I'm your moderator, Taylor Henry. And joining me by phone for this edition from Cincinnati, Ohio, Jay Joyce, uh, author of a new book called Duty, Honor, Faith, and Country. It's about the Catholic Chapel at the U.S. Academy, U.S. Military Academy at West Point, New York. Um, uh, Jay, welcome to our podcast. Taylor, thank you very much. I I feel privileged and honored to be able to talk about this book with uh, you and your listeners. And tell me, what led led you to write this book? Uh, Taylor... Most Holy Trinity Chapel always had a special place in my heart beginning from the time when I was a cadet. One of the things that I've always appreciated most about the the physical chapel itself are the stained glass windows, which honor what we refer to as the soldier saints, Uh, people like St. Michael, St. Barbara, uh, St. Martin, my namesake. And nobody's ever told the story of those windows in any kind of detail. Uh, Stories about the other chapels have been told, the Protestant chapel, the Jewish chapel, and so forth. But I wanted uh, someone to write the history of those windows and finally realized if I wasn't going to do it, I wasn't sure anybody was. These windows, focusing on soldier saints instead of just scenes from the Bible, told a story that hasn't been told before. Men and women who lived both a military tradition as well as uh, lives of, of faith and so forth, honoring uh, God and Christians around them. So my interest in the windows led to me taking photographs of the windows and telling the story of how those windows came about. But as I did that, I learned more and more about the history of the chapel itself and realized that that story needed to be told, both how the building of the chapel came about as well as the importance and the dedication of the people that made that happen. And now, help me understand, the uh, the Catholic Church at West Point, Most Holy Trinity Catholic Chapel, is the only Catholic church on a, a U.S. government installation of any sort. Is this correct? Uh, we believe that to be true. Uh, over the years, uh, there were at least three Catholic churches owned by the Catholic Church on U.S. government property. One of those was at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. Another one was Fort Monroe, Virginia. Uh, The one at Fort Leavenworth was turned over to the diocese there at some point quite a while ago, and uh, eventually it it burned down and has not been replaced. And the one at Fort Monroe, while it's still an active church, was also turned over to the Diocese of Richmond, Virginia, leaving only Most Holy Trinity, which uh, was built with congressional approval back in 1900 and continues to operate today as, as a dedicated Catholic church. It's also the only dedicated physical Catholic chapel at any of the military academies. Now, how is the Catholic chapel at West Point different from the other chapels there? Well, there, there are five different chapels at West Point. Of course, it's a military post or a military reservation. Originally, back in, I believe it was the 1830s or 1840s, the first chapel at West Point was built. It was referred to as the Cadet Chapel. Now it's the Old Cadet Chapel. 
it was built uh, among the barracks and academic buildings for the cadets, and it served primarily uh, the Protestant uh, cadets and their families uh, from a, an Anglican or Episcopalian tradition. Catholic cadets were served by uh, essentially itinerant priests who would come into the academy either from across the river or over the mountains, uh, or the Catholics at West Point occasionally would be allowed to go elsewhere. But uh, eventually, it be the Catholic community became part of the Highland Falls Catholic community and Sacred Heart of Jesus Church in Highland Falls, which is right outside West Point's gate. At some point in the 1890s, the pastor of Sacred Heart, a Monsignor Cornelius O'Keefe, made the point uh, to the superintendent of the academy that there ought to be a Catholic chapel at West Point. And uh, it, was, it was a long journey, but he was ultimately successful. It required an act of Congress to make it happen. Uh, but the uh, eventual outcome was you can build the church, but you have to raise the money for it, and you have to own it and maintain it. And Monsignor O'Keefe delivered on that, and the chapel itself was built in 1900. Uh, most people are familiar with the large Protestant chapel that overlooks West Point on the hill. That was actually built 10 years later. Uh, when that chapel was built, now referred to as the Cadet Chapel, it took the old Cadet Chapel, tore it down brick by brick, and relocated it to the cemetery. So at that point, you had three chapels. The old Cadet Chapel was, was not in regular use. The Cadet Chapel was used for... Uh, Sunday Protestant services, and the Catholic chapel was used for Catholic services. The next chapel to be built was the Post Chapel, which was a chapel essentially in the Protestant tradition that served uh, the families and other servicemen on post. And then eventually in the 1980s, uh, a Jewish chapel was built uh, between the Catholic chapel and the Protestant chapel. So today there are five chapels. Uh, the Jewish chapel is dedicated to the Jewish cadets and families at West Point, Catholic chapel for Catholic families, and then other people at the Post, if they want to attend a Protestant chapel, attend one of the services at the other chapels. Now, what are some of the features of Most Holy Trinity Catholic Chapel at West Point that distinguish it from the other chapels? So, for example, the stained glass windows, the the uh, statuary. What are what are some of the architectural features that um, make it distinct? You know, distinct. Well, if you were to walk into Most Holy Trinity from the uh, the main vestibule, uh, you'll feel like you're walking into a Catholic church. Uh, it's very very bright. It was built in a Gothic tradition, but it is a chapel. It's not large. Uh, it seats about 500 people. Uh, the windows are also very, very bright. And one of the things about the windows is the chapel itself is not that high. So the windows actually start out at about eye level. And as I uh, noted earlier, they feature soldier saints. Uh, as I mentioned, St. Michael, St. Barbara, Joan of Arc, uh, St. Louis, and a number of others. And this is important for the military academy because if you think about the role of the military academy, it's to train and discipline the men and women who will become the leaders of our armed forces. And in turn, when they go to Most Holy Trinity, what they get the opportunity to see are holy men and women who have gone before them and served uh, in a military tradition. Uh, one of my favorites has always been St. Martin of Tours, 
uh, who was known as a Roman soldier and uh, is believed to have cut his cloak in half to serve uh, a beggar at one time, who some people want to say was, was Christ uh, in human form at the time. That window's always been special to me. But the, the rest of the chapel uh, is similar to any other Catholic church. Uh, we've got Stations of the Cross, and I highlight those in the book. I tell the story of each one of the windows and each one of the stations. The statuary is fairly traditional. We've got altars to our Blessed Mother and St. Joseph, as well as many other uh, smaller statues in the church, St. Anthony, St. Francis, and so forth. I take the opportunity in the book to talk about each one of these. So the book itself is not only a tour of Most Holy Trinity, but if you walk through the book, look at the pictures, look at the text that accompanies it, it's almost a catechism of what a Catholic Church includes. And in that sense, it's very different if you go into the Protestant chapel, for example, which is uh, built very much like a, a large uh, European cathedral, with pri probably the main difference being in the, the big Catholic cathedrals in Europe. You'll also see plenty of statues and so forth. You don't see quite as many of those in a uh, chapel that was built to serve a, a Protestant audience. Uh, the Protestant chapel does have magnificent windows. Uh, the stained glass in that chapel is among some of the best in the United States. But our chapel is, is intimate. When you attend Mass there, uh, you, you really feel like you are in the middle of the service as opposed to the Protestant chapel, for example, which is very long, very narrow, very tall. You're listening to Catholic Military Life, a podcast of the Archdiocese for the Military Services, and I'm talking to Martin H. Joyce III, better known as J. Joyce, uh, who has uh, just come out with a book about the Catholic chapel at the United States Military Academy at West Point, the most holy Trinity Catholic chapel. And Jay, you are a an alumnus of uh, West Point, uh, so this is a topic close to your heart. I can tell you're also a devout Catholic. Tell me a little bit about your personal interest in this chapel and your background. Well, I, I entered the academy toward the end of the Vietnam War in 1970, and at that time, most people know that we're around then. It, it, it was something of an enclave. Uh, the American population was was almost hostile to those in the military, and so it was important that we had a place that we could go and, and feel safe and feel warm, and the Catholic Chapel did that. Chapel was still mandatory at the time for cadets. Uh, we were marched to chapel every Sunday morning uh, to our chapel of choice, which at that time was primarily either Protestant or Catholic, and uh, the Jewish cadets went off on their own to the old, old cadet chapel. Uh, but I didn't perceive that as much different as what I was doing at home. My family of six kids and my parents marched to church every Sunday anyway, <laughs> yet, albeit by car. Um, but, but we were marched to chapel, attended Mass. Uh, we, we filled the chapel in our formal uniforms. And then once the, uh, the first academic year got underway, uh, I, I joined the choir. So I was a Catholic choir, so I was a regular participant at services with that. And beginning in Lent of my freshman year, what we called my plebe year, I started attending daily Mass, and for the rest of the academic year over the next uh, three and a half years, I attended daily Mass whenever I was at the chapel. So it, it was important to me 
as a as a way to worship, as a way to meet other classmates that I didn't interact with uh, every day, as well as the uh, clergy, the, the pastor and his assistant who served us. And the pastor was Monsignor McCormick at that time, Father McCormick at that time. And he used to always tell us that the chapel at West Point would always be our, our home church, no matter where we were in the military or after that, we should always feel like we're coming home. And uh, although I only spent six years in the Army uh, and later went on to uh, work in industry, I went back to West Point every few years for reunions and football games and usually ended up going to church while I was there, at least stopping by. And it, it really did have that feeling of coming home. Uh, so it was important to me, and that's why it was important to me to tell the story. Do the cadets still march to chapel? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It was uh, during my four years at the academy that uh, a challenge to compulsory chapel was raised to the level of the uh, Supreme Court. Actually, that was at the Naval Academy. Uh, but the Supreme Court ruled pretty quickly in 1972 that compulsory chapel was not constitutional and as a result uh, during my uh, junior year i believe it was while i was at the academy uh, they did away with compulsory chapel and you wouldn't be surprised i think to know that uh, one sunday uh, everybody went to church and uh, a few sundays later it was actually after the, the christmas break uh, relatively speaking a much smaller percentage of cadets went to church and we did not march it was voluntary at that point uh, and eventually they uh, stopped wearing the formal uniforms who wore a more informal uniform but interestingly enough attendance at daily chapel both protestant and catholic chapel actually rose slightly uh, when compulsory chapel was stopped nobody ever did a study that i'm aware of to determine how much that was and uh, why that happened. But my roommate, who used to go to the Protestant service every morning, and me to the Catholic chapel every morning, noticed the change. Wow. What do you think about the change? Well, you know, there are many ways you can look at it. I've been told that many of the chaplains, quite frankly, did not support compulsory chapel. Uh, they felt that clearly going to church and having a faith-based approach to life was important and could help people be more ethical in their decision-making. But they knew that a lot of people just didn't want to be there. They resisted it. They would sleep through the services and so forth. And uh, I understand there was a, a current of we'd be better off if people went to church because they wanted to go to church. I think if you look at the attendance now, there's, there's actually a pretty solid Catholic uh, population at West Point, but it's clearly not the number of people that were going to Mass when I was a cadet, and I think that mirrors what we see across the country, which is unfortunate, but people are going because they want to go as opposed to being forced to go. Uh, forcing people to go does provide exposure to certain ideals, but it can also create a resistance to them. So we're probably better off not twisting people's arms, but we've got to find ways to help people understand why faith is important and why outward signs of practicing that faith are also important. Very interesting. Besides the history and the photographs, 
There are a number of human interest stories in your book about priests who served at West Point, graduates who became priests and nuns, and um, other folks who went into other walks of life. Tell us about some of these stories. Well, I often think about you know, the thing we learned as, as kids to, to interlace our fingers and, and go, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door, and there's all the people. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the people are the church, and I would guess that most outsiders wouldn't really think about cadets going on to become priests or even today nuns, and that is not an option as a cadet. You're going to graduate and go into military. But there have been a number of graduates over the years who have answered a call to a vocation after they served in the military and gone on to the seminary or uh, more recently into the convent for women. Uh, one of the first graduates to go on to become a priest uh, became a Holy Cross father uh, back and I believe it was in the 1830s or 1840s uh, he eventually became the president of Holy Cross University uh, another one was a roommate of Ulysses Grant Father George Deshaun graduated in the class of 1843 with Grant uh, served nearly 10 years in the military and, and then went in eventually, at first became a redemptorist but later became one of four priests who founded the Paulist Fathers. And interestingly enough, when the chapel was dedicated in 1900, he delivered the homily uh, for the uh, dedication mass at the chapel. And then over the years, there have been uh, a number of graduates who have gone uh, first into the seminary. And in many cases, the leadership people learn at the academy has manifested itself in other ways, such as the priest I mentioned that was president of Holy Cross or founder of the Paulists. Uh, others have been leaders in the civil rights movement. Uh, there have been Jesuits as well. And then uh, more recently, uh, the first class with women uh, was the class of 1980. They entered in 1976, right after the Supreme Court said, can't just be an all-male institution. And uh, one of the members of that class has gone on to become a Catholic sister. She's a Benedictine, and she is actually one of the leaders in the Benedictine Sisters. A few years later, one of the women graduates, uh, after a career in the military, entered the convent and uh, became a Marinol sister, and she is now the head of the Marinols. So we've seen this leadership manifest itself a number of ways. Wow. Were you surprised at the number of West Point grads who went on to consecrated life? Yes, I was, uh, because as I did the research uh, on the chapel, I had not originally anticipated also looking at that particular aspect of it. But as I learned about the history of the chapel, I came across several church bulletins from the, I believe, the 1980s and 1990s who talked about graduates who have gone on to become priests. And I thought, well, this is interesting. I think I'll include this. And as I researched more, I found others who were not included on those lists who people were just not aware of. There was no central list of who all these people have been. So I was proud of the fact, quite frankly, that uh, as a detective, I uncovered a few that others had not known about. So as I was looking at the, the men who have gone on to become priests, uh, it occurred to me, well, I wonder if any women have gone on to become nuns. And uh, sure enough, I was eventually able to uncover that at least two graduates, 
uh, one from the first class of women in 1980, as well as another graduate uh, a few years later went on to become nuns. And as I noted uh, in the book, one is now a leader on the committee that runs the Benedictine Sisters, and uh, another is the head of the Marinol Sisters. So they've demonstrated the type of leadership they learned uh, while they were cadets at West Point in a different fashion, this time serving in their vocation. I'm talking to Martin H. Joyce III, J. Joyce, author of a new book about the Catholic Chapel at the United States Academy at West Point, New York. The title of the book, Duty, Honor, Faith, and Country, is available now on Amazon. Um, you published, Jay, you published this book yourself using uh, Amazon instead of a publisher. Uh, how did that come about? Well, uh, that's, that's an, an interesting point. I had written one book before this about West Point and postage stamps, and I published it myself, and, and this was, the whole world of publishing was new to me. And one of the things I learned along the way is if you're not going to sell two or three or four hundred books, let alone a, a thousand or two thousand, publishing professionally becomes an expensive option because there are minimum print requirements. But I learned if you work with Amazon and a few other companies, they can print on demand, which it, itself is quite amazing. But it does not require the upfront cost that publishing a book was. So I took it upon myself to learn how to do this. You have to learn all the formatting and what specifically they need in terms of photographs and so forth. And I just started writing. Uh, originally, I thought with this book, maybe it'll just be a PDF. Maybe I won't put it into print. I'll just make it available as an electronic document that people can consult if they need to. And more and more as I got into it, I figured I was investing so much time and energy that it, it deserved to be in print. Along the way, as I did some uh, research with some of the older classes, somebody contacted me and said, Jay, do you need help editing this? That uh, This person mentioned that they had edited a few books before, and I said, well, sure, I'll take all the volunteer help I can get. And interestingly enough, this person became my semi-professional editor over a, a year-long journey, and he was a graduate from the class of 1963 who was an international cadet at the time from the Philippines, graduated uh, and got married at Most Holy Trinity, and then pursued a career in the Philippines Army, ultimately rising to Brigadier General. So my editor was a retired Filipino Brigadier General living in Manila, and we learned to work around the clock. I could send him material four or five o'clock in the afternoon my time uh, on the East Coast time zone here in the U.S. Uh, he'd be 12 hours apart. He'd wake up and see it, go through the edits, uh, and send them back to me so that we, in the parlance of business today, we followed the sun uh, and were able to be very efficient in that manner. But it was a fascinating collaboration across the, the United States and the Pacific Ocean to make this work, which you can do these days with the Internet. Logistical convenience. Un it's unbelievable. <laughs> now, um, Edwin Cardinal O'Brien wrote the foreword to your book. Tell me about that. Well, I was extremely blessed by this. When I arrived at West Point in 1970, one of the assistant pastors was just in the process of leaving, and that was Father Edwin O'Brien. He had graduated 
from seminary in the Archdiocese of New York, I think in 1965 or 66, and his first assignment as a priest was at the Catholic Chapel at West Point. And he served there for four or five years and decided, uh, just as I was entering the academy, that he wanted to join the Army. And so he joined the Army, uh, went to uh, paratrooper school. He, he was airborne qualified, jumped out of airplanes, uh, ended up going to Vietnam, uh, served with honor uh, for three or four years in the Army, then got out of the Army and pursued his career uh, as a priest in the Diocese of New York, uh, was obviously very talented, very well recognized uh, for his faith and his leadership, uh, eventually rising to uh, bishop in the Archdiocese of New York. And then when the, uh, a few years after the Archdiocese for the Military Services was founded, he became uh, Archbishop for the Military Services, ultimately of Baltimore, and then went on to be appointed uh, Cardinal. And it occurred to me as I was writing the book that although it wasn't necessary, it would be really great to have someone like his perspective on the book itself, and even better if I could get his endorsement for that. And it took a little while to figure out how to get a hold of him. Uh, but once I managed that, things moved very, very quickly. I asked Cardinal O'Brien in a letter uh, if he would be willing to do it, I sent him a draft of the book, and I heard back immediately saying he would be thrilled to be able to do that. So I, I was very honored uh, by the fact that he agreed to write the forward. I think, quite frankly, I, I was even more honored and dumbfounded uh, after I sent him a copy of the book. I answered the phone one morning, and what I heard on the other end was, Jay, this is Cardinal O'Brien. And he was calling me from Rome to uh, talk about having just received the book and what he thought of it. So I was extremely honored both to have him uh, join me in this project as well as to hear his feedback. And the title of the book is Duty, Honor, Faith, and Country by Martin H. Joyce III. is available on Amazon. Um, Jay Joyce, tell me, what do you hope people will take away from this book? I hope they'll take away a feeling of the importance of faith and the church uh, at the military academy, and I mean those as two different things. Faith, obviously, are both our Christian as well as, our, more importantly, our Catholic faith, but also the, the concept of church, the outward signs of, of practicing that faith and the setting in which it's been done. West Point is renowned for its traditions uh, and a feeling that tradition roots us as we go through something, and it gives us uh, a, a sense of purpose looking over the years. At West Point, as cadets and graduates, we refer to ourselves as the long gray line of us, which stretches through centuries. And in fact, by looking at the history of Most Holy Trinity, what it took to get the chapel built in the first place and how it has survived over the years. That tradition has continued. So we are rooted uh, both in the traditions of West Point as well as the traditions of our Catholic faith. I believe that understanding that uh, gives us a sense of the importance of it and a sense of our duty and our honor 
in being able to do so. I've been talking to Martin H. Joyce III, author of a new book about the Catholic Chapel at the United States Military Academy at West Point, New York, Most Holy Trinity Catholic Chapel. The title of the book is Duty, Honor, Faith, and Country, an Illustrated History and Guide to the Catholic Chapel of the Most Holy Trinity at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, New York. It's available on Amazon. Jay Joyce, thank you so much for talking to me. Uh, Taylor, it's been my pleasure, and I hope uh, that others will find some of the same joy in taking a look at this work as I did pulling it together. Catholic Military Life is a podcast of the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, erected by Pope St. John Paul II in 1985 to provide for the free exercise of Catholic faith in the U.S. military, VA medical centers, and the government's civilian workforce beyond U.S. borders. 1.8 million American Catholics worldwide depend on the Archdiocese and its endorsed chaplains for pastoral care. For more information, visit millarch.org. The Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, serving those who serve serve.